Welcome to Logical, the UAE's first and only legal podcast. Once again, my name's Tim Elliott. Logical comes to you from the Dubai-based legal firm HPL, Yamada and Plethka. And as always, here's the managing partner, Ludmilla Yamalava. Nice to see you. Good to be here with you, Tim, as always. Today, we're going to be talking about divorce once again. Lots of different podcasts about divorce in its various forms at lylawyers.com. This time, though, it's divorce options for Muslim women in the UAE. Now, there's a lot to discuss today, uh, Ludmilla, some principles of Sharia law to understand and explain. So can I begin here uh, with the legal category of talaq? Now, Article 99 of the UAE Personal Status Law is where I've picked this particular word, but it's very important to understand what talaq is. Uh, Indeed. So... Um, let me just take a step back. I just want to highlight that uh, for any family, any couple that uh, reside in the UAE, uh, if they are Muslim, this is the only law that they would be able to apply okay. with regards to the dissolution of their marriage uh, and um, and and their divorce in the terms of the divorce and particular custody and guardianship. Uh, this, by the way, applies also to all those who uh, all those expats who uh, are expats and um, grew up in different countries, would have gotten married in different countries, and more or less they uh, they believe that they're subject to the laws, the civil laws of um, their countries, uh, their own home countries, and not. Uh, and not Islamic laws. However, as long as they are Muslim heritage and they um, they they live in the UAE, uh, they are um, uh, deemed here as Muslim, and therefore they do not have a choice of law as far as personal status matters are concerned. And they are subject to the UAE personal status, which is based on Islamic principles, uh, Islamic jurisprudence with regards to, in other words, Sharia, with regards to the uh, the dissolution of marriage, uh, i.e. the divorce, and the corresponding issues that uh, result from the divorce, such as financial entitlements and support, as well as custody and guardianship. Okay. So that's so that's that. That's important to remember because for um, expats, otherwise, there's also a choice of law that they can apply, and that is that choice of law is um, the law of the country where they got married. But in for couples that are Muslim couples, um, even if they got married, let's say in the U.S. or in England and France and Austria, and, and they are deemed to have been married under civil marriage in the UAE, they, this they would not be able to make that argument. So now, so now they are they are just deciding to divorce, and um, as is the case with uh, non-Muslims, there's always an option of a um, an amicable divorce, and we've covered an amicable divorce in a different podcasts, and that particular topic applies, and that option and route applies to both Muslim and non-Muslim couples. Amicable divorce is always an option, and I would highly, highly always recommend for everybody to just take a step back, breathe, and regroup, and try to figure out an amicable divorce, because it's extremely expensive and uh, emotionally uh, consuming and, and taxing uh, and uh, psychologically uh, very um, uh, all-encompassing and um, tumultuous to go through court proceedings for a family, for couples, or the, the couple that's already separating, and then having to um, just readjust their whole lives. Especially the children, uh, children are involved. If you add to that uh, the 
battling in the court and all the expenses paid to the, to the lawyers and such. It's, it's a very, very taxing and a very tumultuous and difficult process. So wherever I just, wherever it is possible, I always recommend that people just, I know it's easier said than done, but people take a step back. And they breathe a little bit, process, and they just remember. But most importantly, they identify what are the most important things that they are fighting for. What's the objective? The objective, if you have children, should be the best interest of the children. So whatever it is you do, you should be doing it in the best interest of the children. And then, I guess, financially, uh, that would be, that should come next. I mean, that's me sitting here today, (laughs) Tim's in in my office, um, uh, yeah, but so theorizing about this, I know it's easier than, uh, than for those who are actually, uh, find themselves in the situation. It's emotions run wild and it's very difficult to, uh, to accept that there could be some sort of an amicable dialogue. But, uh, anyway, as, as we've discussed in previous podcasts and it was about to hear in this podcast, there are so many legal tools and nuances and, and, uh, factors that, uh, will always be at play whenever you file a court case that, um, Often we see couples that at some point in time they just decide, listen, it's just, you know, after all this fighting in the court, let's, let's sit down and let's figure out a way, an amicable way forward. So if you could just remember that and try to at least take a piece of that and try to bring it a little closer to the forefront of your divorce proceedings, that would be, um, uh, that would help a lot to everybody. I mean, we've talked about this before. So I'm like, if you can do that, and it is very hard and nobody's trying to, tell anybody what to do but making a process a little bit easier is a logical sensible thing to do and it is part of your remit isn't it to offer every option Um, absolutely Um, so be it as it may the reality is such that in most cases people cannot agree and therefore they find themselves at the the crossroads where they have to file a case so for so back to our muslim couples and families who find themselves now at these crossroads and they need to um, do something about it Uh, so uh, i would i would say so at a high level there's two types of divorces that's available for muslim one muslims one is called talak as you rightfully said tim early on and the other one is Hula. Uh, and talaq is, and both of them are subject to, and in general, the divorce would be subject to the UAE personal status law. Okay. And talaq is covered under Article 99 for those who want to look it up. And for, and hula is under Article 110 of the UAE personal status law. So these are two types of divorces. Basically, at a very high level, uh, talaq is a sort of divorce for cause. Right. And then whenever you have a divorce for a cause, there is expectation claims of damages that would be awarded. And then hula is basically just it's divorce for no cause and just and you're not really expecting or claiming any kind of compensation. Uh, so under ta- talak, basically, um, their concept of talak, and uh, by the, before I go into the divorces, I do want to make a, a general statement that because we hear this slightly less now than we did before, but there is this fear amongst um, in particular women that uh, the court will not grant them divorce. So there's basically it's for the for the husband to allow them a divorce and or for the court to allow for the, the divorce and that they will that there is a good chance that the court might not grant them a divorce at all. So in, their, in other words, they have no choice to divorce. Right. That's not necessarily the case. It is true that there are certain legal nuances that if they if they 
uh, if they follow a certain path that the divorce could be uh, denied, but it's not finally denied. It's less, less about the divorce being denied. It's basically more based on the claims that are being made as part of the proceedings. Uh, and, um, uh, and then the, the documents and the claims that are being presented along the way. So, but ultimately divorce will be granted. Uh, I have yet to see a single case where a woman could not, uh, would not, um, have the right to be divorced. So it's just again, through various legal machinations and nuances and tactics, it's sometimes possible to have uh, certain decisions in the court where the court will say, okay, you're not divorced, but you have, you know, the husband has to do this, this and that. Uh, but, um, but then you could still always, as a woman, always apply and, and for another divorce and you will be ultimately divorced. So, and this basically, this particular topic comes under the, when we're talking about legal nuances, is when we're talking about whether divorce is talak or uh, hula. So talak is basically the right under talak, and again, this is the divorce for cause. Um, the husband has unilateral right to um, to uh, for divorce under talak. So the husband says, "I can, I will divorce you. This is it. You don't need anything else. Uh, you don't need from the the wife the agreement, uh, but it still needs to be ratified in court in order for it to be formal." Uh, and so that's that's the husband. In other words, has the the universal universal right. Um, and um, uh, and however, the woman can also claim talak, but in order for her to claim talak, uh, she needs to show damages that she's suffered as a result of the sort of broken relationship. So for the husband to claim talak, he doesn't does not need he does not need to show any damages. The woman has to show damages. Uh, damages. It's a bit of a uh, you know, kind of a convoluted phrase, but it's a s- simpler, simpler in, in most cases, the damages, you, know, you don't really have to prove any kind of damages, but you know, that's kind of the legal technicality that, uh, the husband can just say, I divorce you and that's done. And the wife has to say, I want to divorce you. And this is because you're this and this and that. And, and as a result, I claim one, two, three, four, five. So that's kind of the, the procedural perhaps uh, differences that you would have to, um, proceed on. Now, I want to pause here for a second because we often hear of uh, husbands uh, and this is the unilaterally divorcing wives under Islam. And that's kind of where talaq comes from. So because talaq, again, is a unilateral right for a husband to uh, to divorce his wife. And we hear a lot of the times, oh, my husband has divorced me. Yeah, it's like a bunch of times. Or he's already divorced me. So I want to be very clear that in the UE, while the UE the jurisprudence in the UAE personal status law is based on principles of uh, Sharia and Islamic jurisprudence. It's still a civil law uh, country and civil law legal system, which means it's not Sharia system and in legal terms. And that means a big difference because when the husband, for example, says three times, I divorce you, maybe in other countries that are more Sharia-based countries or Islamic countries of in terms of the legal framework, uh, that would be it. That's all that needs to be done. In the UE, because it's a civil law country, you actually need to have a court order ratifying the divorce. Okay. And this is very important mm-hmm. because we've heard so many cases where the wife says, okay, but he divorced me uh, three times, so therefore under Islam we're divorced, perhaps, but what's the proof? So you need the proof for that. And the only proof, the uh, actionable and enforceable proof, is a, a divorce decree. Uh, and um, that sometimes if you have witnesses, you can say, well, I have witnesses. There were three male witnesses that, that heard him say, I divorced you three times. Um, so there is that that could have happened as well. But then you still need to bring those witnesses to the court. And the court still has to issue an order saying, yes, 
based on the statement of these witnesses, he had divorced her in Islam, and therefore now you're divorced formally. So in other words, as if you're a Muslim woman, um, and you think you're being divorced by your husband, uh, in, because he's, is claiming talaq and, and telling you three times that he is divorced. Don't rely on that because it is not enforceable in, in the courts here. And we've seen a lot of cases where a woman, for example, would go around and say, okay, I'm divorced now so I can live my life as a free woman. And then the husband out of spite comes back and, uh, and, claims that she has been having extramarital affairs and so on and so forth, and the woman does not have anything to prove that she, in fact, was divorced. So this is very important that uh, in the UAE, you know that even if you're being uh, divorced under talaq um, by your husband, you still need to have, then you need to file a claim and just, okay, then go either say this in front of the court or I'm going to bring, bring three witnesses to show that you have actually divorced me already. So you do need to have the court document. Uh, we had a case recently, the uh, uh, prospective client called us and said that they, you know, she had been like her husband, like 50 times divorced her. But then every time she wants to actually act on this divorce, he said, I, I didn't divorce you. I mean, that's obviously people acting in bad faith and, and, and being abusive. Uh, but here's an example for you. So yeah. even though it's like 50 times, but in legal terms, it's, it's a non-event. Uh, so that's the, uh, for the husband, um, to, uh, to, to divorce under talaq. And so he would there, he would say, okay, I divorce you under talaq. So I don't need approval from you. I just, uh, and uh, it's divorced for a cause. Ultimately, all that means is that, uh, it's, um, you know, it's less in, in, under Sharia, it's a little less about, you know, who is at fault in terms of, in terms of what your final takeaway will be. Because let's say in other Western jurisdictions where assets are divided 50-50, the children, the custody is 50-50, there's a lot more to fight for. But under Sharia, it's, well, if whatever is yours is yours, whatever is mine is mine. For a husband, usually a husband has more wealth in this country. So if he claims to lack, there's not really much for him to, for example, claim from his wife. Uh, he wouldn't have even been able to claim anything from his wife. It's just it's just some uh, maybe can ask some some damages, but the damages are very difficult for husbands sort of to prove. Um, then, so that's for the husband to do so. Now, for for the um, wife to, she can also claim talak. Again, talak is divorce for cause, and here the wife would say that a lot of the most of the. Well, marriages and most of the families, this is what the wife, when the wife files a divorce, she says, I'm claiming talaq, but I need basically court's approval for talaq. And it's a divorce for cause. And as a result, I suffer damages. And so I want compensation, compensation for the children, compensation for me and such. So that's called, uh, that's, that's basically a right, a, a wife's, um, claim for talaq. Uh, and, um, uh, and, you know, and then kind of, and then proving, it comes down to proving in court, uh, how to, uh, so, so what it is that you've suffered and what it is that you want from, uh, from, um, your husband or from the father of the children. Uh, sometimes, interestingly enough, there's a one nuance, uh, that is that it's possible, in fact, for the husband, when couples get married, it's actually in Islam, it's actually possible for the husband to early on give the right, so delegate the right, give the right del- delegation powers, basically for unilateral talaq. So in other words, the husband can in advance give the, wi- the wife when they get married or at some point in time, so listen, I'll give you the right for talaq, yeah, unilateral talaq. And that would be enforceable. How would you document that? that in like a sort of like an agreement, a prenuptial agreement type really? of thing. Yes, yes, and okay. these agreements actually are fairly common. Right. You'd want to ratify before, uh, you know, with an imam or some kind of like a religious uh, document or in the court. But yes, but that's how you would do it.
so it does not, it does not, the delegation does not deprive the husband from the unilateral right of talaq, but he gives basically his wife the same right. So mm-hmm. that is possible. Right. Uh, so now, uh, with regards to, so wife claiming talaq, uh, she would be claiming that she, this was divorced for cause, and as a result, she wants damages from the husband, and, um, and then she would, uh, she would, uh, in, request all sorts of things, but one of the things is that she would ask for this, the compensation for what's called the wait, waiting period, or Ida, or this is like the alimony for three months, that's the waiting period, and that's usually the time when, um, that just for the, the court would want to wait to see if the wife is potentially, potentially not pregnant again. So that's kind of, that's the, that's the waiting period. So that's ultimately, that's probably the maximum the wife would get financially, that is from, from a divorce under Sharia. Uh, and that's because that, and that's to her, that's a payment to her. So that specific payment is to her and that's about, um, your three months of compensation and compensation could be um, 10,000 dirhams a month, for example, uh, for th- but for three months only. Uh, then she can also claim compensation for enjoyment, and that's enjoyment while they were married. And it really depends on how long they were married and what. So let's say he, if he had been uh, paying the wife every month, the husband, let's say five, ten thousand dirhams a month, you can kind of claim that he should continue. So that was a compensation for enjoyment. He should continue to pay that. But usually, compensation for enjoyment is more limited; it's like a fixed amount. Um, and then, and then also any deferred maher, and maher is basically like a so endowment almost, a dowry, dowry. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, uh, and then usually, as this what happens is when um, uh, a husband, what a lot of Muslim couples when they get married, so the husband has a choice, uh, choice basically is to do. Uh, pay maher. A maher is like a, a dowry to the wife. So let's say in the, in the event of divorce, let's say I will pay you half a million dollars. Or I will give you my house in Lebanon, for example. That could, that be maher. And so when there's, when, um, either party or so when, when wife applies or claims talak, uh, then she would be entitled to that maher. So she would be entitled to that villa or house in Lebanon. Or, or um, that half a million dollars, whatever is stated in this, uh, in in the basic the prenuptial agreement, and these agreements right. are actually quite quite typical in, in Muslim couples as well. So that's the other thing that she would claim, and then uh, she would claim custody of the children. And under Islam, remember there is uh, there is custody goes stays with the children, uh, with the mother, and then guardianship goes to the father. So in, uh, under Islam, the mother gets 100% custody for uh, boys until the age of 11 and uh, girls until the age of 13. Um, however, in in practical terms, the courts are very reluctant to separate kids. So even let's say if the boy reaches the age of 11 and the girl is still um, you know, let's say eight, the courts often do not separate the kids. So the custody doesn't just automatically transfer to the guardian, i.e. the father, when the age happens. Um, the courts are still involved in this, and the court ultimately can decide, no, I want the children to stay together. So it's not really just automatic default or transfer of, of custody. And custody is the physical possession of the child. So custody would Stay with the mother, which means that the children's primary home will be with the mother. That's a custody. And then, and then the father as the guardian has to pay, uh, the mother for supporting the children. So the, the father as a guardian has to pay for school, uh, children's education, has to pay for children's, um, expenses, has to pay for housing, uh, and has to pay for, let's say, the driver, the nanny, uh, and X amount every month for the children, uh, as, so support for the children. So it's child support. 
Uh, and then additionally, and this is under talak, he would have to pay the mother a compensation, monthly compensation, but it's not to her as his wife, but rather as the custodian of the children. So, and the courts these days have, uh, all courts in the UAE have fairly specific guidelines that were recently issued and uh, in terms of how the courts, the roadmap or the the, uh, the court goes through in terms of deciding how to allocate compensation uh, for um, child support per month, for support to the mother, for housing, for example, for transportation, for uh, for additional expenses. So, and the courts follow those guidelines pretty closely. I mean, there is definitely, they're still based on the husband's or the party's actual earning powers and such. Uh, but that's kind of uh, what um, what is being used for the most part these days by the courts, and and it's fairly transparent. So those parties who are thinking of going divorce, the divorce, they can uh, access those guidelines themselves, so they can kind of anticipate how the courts will decide. Uh, so, uh, and then there's some additional co- compensation if the mo- the mother is still let's say breastfeeding, um, uh, that she can claim uh, compensation, additional compensation while she's breastfeeding. Uh, and so, and these are the requests that must be made by the wife to the judge in a statement of, of claim because they're not awarded by default. So when the wife claims to lack, she claims that, listen, this is, I'm wanting to divorce my husband for cause. Um, and, um, and I want all this, uh, A, I want a divorce and B, I want compensation for all of the different, these different entitlements. Uh, so, so that's talak. So now, uh, in, uh, just to give you an example, we've seen a few cases recently where, let's say, a family of, of two children, minor children, the judge would give about two to two and a half thousand dirhams per month for every child, and about a thousand, maybe two thousand for the mother as a, as a custodian of the children, about a hundred and fifty thousand dirhams for the housing per year, maybe fifty thousand, eighty thousand for the car. Uh, and um, say a thousand or fifteen hundred for the nanny, and about a thousand for the driver, for example. Mm. Um, so, so this is how specific like the court order would be for um, ultimately, and um, and then so the father would have to pay all this, and if he doesn't, then there will be this. This becomes quite enforceable and fairly quickly, and so the courts can uh, start freezing bank accounts. And this is what we've seen over and over again: is that the father, for example, for one reason or another, don't want to pay alimony, and so because they just they want to fight for something else, or in particular, they want, um, let's say, to see the children more. And so, you know, once you have a final judgment from the court, you actually can proceed with uh, enforcement. And as part of the enforcement, you can freeze bank accounts and other assets of, of a defaulting parent, i.e. the father in this case. And, you know, surprisingly enough, a lot of people still do that. <laughs> so you just need to be prepared for it. Uh, but also as part of this, the court order, you know, in addition to the compensation, the court will also can set uh, the uh, the visitation schedule uh, for for the father to the visitation schedule and rules so so for example if like if whatever you know if let's say the father was or the mother accused the father of being abusive or neglecting say okay the father can visit the children x number of hours per such and such days in for example before the cda or the community development authority or under some supervision so these kind of conditions can be put uh, forward as part of the the divorce decree, uh, so um, uh, and um, you know I guess from financially speaking the the mother or the woman the wife does not benefit under um, uh, Sharia as much as she might have under foreign law where she would have gotten fifty percent of her husband's earnings and end of service and bonuses and any assets in his name would have to be divided fifty fifty. 
But from the perspective of custodying the children, she has the right to you to 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 the children for they live with her full time. She is primary custodian, and therefore she decides. And if when they travel, how they travel ultimately, and she can deny the father, for example, the the, the ability to travel uh, with the children. So you basically need consent of the mother. Uh, so you see, there's so many nuances. This is why coming back to what I said earlier, it's just it would always be better for the parents to just figure out to, to build an amicable foundation for their new relationship so that they don't have to always tug and pull each other uh, every time they plan to take the children out of the country for holidays and such, which is what we're seeing a lot now. And, um, you know, also we're seeing it's quite painful because you see so many families or fighting this tooth and nail in court to the point of like the mother, for example, particularly because she's the mother, she's so just scared of about the well-being of the children. And so uh, it, during these proceedings, the father doesn't even see the child and the mother has the ability at least uh, to, you know, to an extent to prevent the, f- the father from seeing the child. So it really does not benefit anyone, right? It's, and that's why I circle back to what I said earlier. If there is a way to, to just, it's important to keep that in mind because in the long run, if you have children, you need to work on your, your main objective has to be how to, how do we build a common road forward for the children to be, um, you know, to, to, to benefit the best interest of the children. And, uh, you know, just if you keep, keep that mile, uh, uh, this, uh, goal or milestone in mind, you know, eventually as, as, as temperature di- dies down, it's possible that uh, both parents will be able to figure out a more amicable approach to, uh, to agreeing on the terms, by the way, that would potentially benefit, actually be more beneficial to the father for visitation rights, right? So you could, if you are agreeing with the mother, if you uh, amicably, she could give you much more preferential preferential uh, visitation rights. She could even give you uh, agree to the fifty fifty in terms of um, the child spend, spending time fifty percent of uh, with with the father. But if you don't have your the mother's agreement, then you are up to the you're down to the court, and the court will give you the the minimum. The minimum is basically whatever the court issues is the floor, which is the custody. And the child will live with the mother, and um, the father only has limited visitation rights. Uh, so, anyway, so that's basically, um, that's Talak. That's Talak. Okay. L- let me just back in here because I, I mean, I, it's so incredibly intricate and you come back once again to trying if you, if in any way it's possible to sit down and try and work something out. And I think it's, it's worth reinforcing that once again. What of Hula, uh, which is Article 110 of the UE Personal Status Law? This is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, how, I, how I've uh, read it. When a husband consents to his wife's request for a divorce, and there are, f- are there five ways in which this is permissible? Am I, am I close? Uh, yes, yes. So, yes, but ultimately, Hula is a contract between husband and wife in which they both agree for compensation for the wife um, to be provided, uh, to, for a wife to provide compensation to the husband in the event um, she wants a divorce. So, okay. here she does not, ultimately, she doesn't need to request the husband uh, for husband's permission to divorce. Mm. So under talaq, the wife has to request the husband for permission or the court for permission to divorce. Under hula, this is she doesn't need to do that, but because but she needs to compensate the husband. Uh, 
Okay, okay, now what's the, how do you calculate co- compensation? Uh, usually when there's maher, and maher is this uh, dowry that, let's say, is part of the contract, for example, the, um, the husband had given to the wife, I don't know, a house in Lebanon as maher, and so, as, and so now that's her house, but as part of uh, this hula, uh, then she would have to give that compensation back. So there could also be, let's say, some payments he made for her, and there's a claim for, okay, listen, I want, uh, he can make the compens- the claim for compensation of that. It's not easy to prove compensation because, you know, often what we see is the husband starts claiming, I want my, the jewelry I gave you, the bags I bought you, the clothes and all that. In most cases, courts view them as gifts uh, and not sort of non-refundable. Uh, but depends on how you argue it. But ultimately, Hula is the wife. She said, okay, I'm divorcing you. I don't care. I don't need to show damage. I don't need to show for cause. I just want to divorce. It's my right to divorce you. And uh, I'll pay you whatever it is that to compensate you. And they're really the most uh, measurable compensation if there's maher. And if there's maher, then you basically kind of pay that back if that's what the company, uh, the, the, the husband wants. Um, but what they cannot do under this is um, they cannot agree, for example, for to waive the child support under Maher, interestingly, or the custody. So even though it's 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 a hula, uh, you as a, the husband cannot say, okay, well, I'm going to take the child and, and the child now is going to be my, my custody. No, because the default application, the custody still stays with the mother. Uh, nor, for example, can the husband demand the wife under hula and she's, okay, well, because it's hula, so I'm not going to pay for the children. No, because the principle, so Hulema refers more to financial entitlements, you know, and, but with regards to the children, the same Sharia principles apply. The custody stays with the mother, the guardianship with, with the father, and by virtue of that, the father is the one responsible, for example, for paying child support, for paying for education, for supporting the, the family and the housing and, and all that. So that cannot be waived even under Hula. Um, so, I mean, so essentially the hula is, is like termination of, you know, a termination of marriage contract. So that's basically kind of at the high level. I mean, we've seen hulas as well. There's, and when I mentioned earlier that uh, sometimes you hear these cases where the judge says there's no divorce, uh, it really comes down to what is being claimed because often what's being claimed is like the wife, for example, says, I want, um, children to stay with me or I want you to pay for, for the education, and so the divorce becomes kind of it's is less is more implied. The request for divorce more implied than explicit. But in any event, if you the wife always has the option of, of filing a request for divorce divorce under hula, which means so okay, fine, I don't want anything from you, I as a, as a wife, but you'll still have to uh, you can keep you know, give you back maher if there was any, or the judge can det- decide if there's some compensation. But the father will still be responsible for, as a guardian of the child, to, for the child compensation and uh, support. We've limited time in this podcast, Luke Miller. We've covered most of the areas, but I'd, I'd just like to ask you about procedure, how, how this works when you're in court. Uh, so uh, the UAE, one of the blessings of, of COVID, and I've said this in many previous podcasts, is that uh, courts have become a lot more accessible technologically and, and practically much more accessible to parties. So uh, I, you can just file all of this. You can file your divorce proceedings and requests through the online court, uh, court portal, or you can go directly to court. Um, and whatever hearings will happen, sometimes it could be online, sometimes it could be in person. You can even bring witnesses online. So it's a lot more flexible now um, than 
it used to be before. Uh, and uh, apart from the first few meetings uh, in the worst proceedings, it's it more or less everything happens in the online platform. All the decisions are published in online. Uh, and it's quite efficient. Uh, there could be, there would be some mediation process in the beginning, but the mediation is more procedural, where the courts want uh, to just document that at least there was an attempt to mediate and then, and then uh, transfer the case to sort of formal court jurisdiction. Uh, and uh, other, otherwise, it's not extremely lengthy or complex. I mean, it could, let's say it could take a year, uh, but depends on what claims are being made and such. Uh, and, um, there are things that could happen in the meantime. For example, uh, either parent can decide to play or could request for a travel ban to put on the children so that, the, that one or the other parent does not take the children away from the country because that's one of the measures that uh, um, parents exercise here in, in such, especially in contentious divorces. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it kind of depends, again, on what kind of claims are being made and what's being argued. Uh, I mean, the proceedings can, you have the court of first instance and you have the appeal and then, but you can always appeal, you can always file a new case for divorce at any point in time. So if you're still not divorced, you can always file a new case. So it's uh, more or less accessible uh, and uh, not extremely lengthy and not, it doesn't have to be extremely expensive, especially for Muslims because you're not arguing foreign law, which in of itself would have been um, a lot more expensive as we discussed in a, in a different podcast. Uh, so, um, so that's basically about that. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's still, it's fairly effective and it's, um, and it's fairly transparent because of these guidelines that have been published recently. Uh, parties kind of know what to expect. Um, and the decisions and the courts are fairly predictable in how they adjudicate these issues. And that's in line with what I just described. Still a process that uh, takes it out of a person, listening to you there, trying to get my head around it. But it is certainly a bit clearer. That's another episode of Logical, this time the divorce options for Muslim women in the UAE, uh, specifically. Our legal expert, as always, managing partner here at Yamalava and Pleska, Ludmilla Yamalava, huge thank you. Thank you, Tim. Always to you. It's always a pleasure. Find us at LY Law on social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, uh, wherever you get your social updates. There's a huge, ever-growing library, hundreds of podcasts, all kinds of legal questions, legal matters uh, discussed and hopefully answered, all free to listen to. To get a specific legal question answered in a future episode of Logical or to talk to a qualified UAE-experienced legal professional, click on contact at lylawyers.com.